A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Then verse 2, did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord of hosts his name. From age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And then verse 3, And though this world, with evil filled, should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. I, I love the uh, statement in verse 1, at the end of verse 1, uh, that uh, on earth is not his equal, talking about the devil, on earth is not his equal. And then in verse 2, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? But God has given us the Lord Jesus Christ, his sacrifice for us, and he intends for us to win the battle. I I can remember, and this was some time back, I don't even know whether it was here at Avon, but somebody, we were studying about Satan, and uh, somebody made the statement, we don't give Satan enough enough credit. And he he wasn't trying to, uh, uh, to brag on Satan. What he was saying is, we're not, we don't pay enough attention. We're not paying attention. Second Corinthians 2 and verse 11, Paul said, we're not ignorant of his, his uh, schemes, his wiles. And I, I believe that that's so. We are not ignorant of Satan's wiles, but a lot of times we simply are not paying attention. Uh, there, there's a hostile picture presented in Job chapters 1 and 2. The sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan came among them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you been? Where have you come from? Satan answered, from roaming around on the earth and walking around on it. And and what Satan is saying is, I have been very busy. I have been very busy. Now, I, I think it's interesting that we don't, there are things we don't know about Satan. We don't actually know about his origin. Most believe that he was a fallen angel. Uh, we don't know what he looks like, uh, and, uh, uh, and usually we get this uh, picture of a, a fellow in a red suit, forked tail, and a pitchfork. We, we don't know what Satan looks like. Again, other things we don't know about Satan, but we do know who he is, and we know what he's up to. We know that Satan is a created being. He is not deity. 
He is not equal with God. And this picture that sometimes people present of God and Satan, two forces in the world, uh, equal is an, is an untrue picture, just simply not so. Satan is a created being. He is not deity. He is not equal with God. He is a spirit being. He is not flesh. Again, he's not some creature in a red suit with a, a pitchfork and so forth. He is a spirit being. He is real, not mythical. We know that he's a created being, not deity, spirit being, not flesh. He is real, not mythical. And you know what he's, we, we know what he's like and we know what he's up to. Now, I'll tell you, just thinking about uh, the picture in Job, it's a sobering thought to see Satan pictured as going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. Now, Satan is around you every step you take, and he will do whatever it takes to drag you down to hell with him. Uh, Paul warns in Ephesians 4.27, don't give him opportunity. He's talking about anger there. Be angry and do not sin. Uh, Don't give the devil an opportunity. And and what he's saying is don't give the devil a foothold in your life. You you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. Don't give him opportunity. Paul gives us, I think, a scary picture of an unsuspecting, deceived victim caught in the devil's snare, not realizing the danger, but Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.26, held captive by him to do his will. Again, that is, that is a tragic picture that's presented there. Now, the Bible presents Satan, it pictures Satan as totally evil. While offering to be a help to us, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, he appears as an angel of light. He is disguised as an angel. And uh, yet he wants to do us harm. Now, th- this morning, I want to uh, obviously I want to talk about Satan. Uh, Ryan mentioned in the Bible class upstairs, we studied Ephesians, the sixth chapter and talked about Satan in the lesson there. I, I didn't know that this was going to correspond with that, but I, I think it's good that it does. But uh, what, what I want to do is I'll, I want to talk about some things, some ways that Satan works today and how he gets into our lives, how he deceives us and, and so forth. Satan's main goal is to keep you away from God. Now, that that is evil. Now, 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, he goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Uh, even his names identify his evil character. Satan means enemy or adversary, uh, devil. And I've, I've always thought it interesting, you remove the D and you've got evil. But the, the word devil means slanderer. In other words, he deceives us and then he accuses us before God. Remember the story of Job. Uh, I, I think it is important. The Bible pictures God and his people, that's us, as being at war with Satan. He is the real enemy. He is the one that we are struggling against. He is the one that is, is opposing us. And even may, uh, you may have some enemies who are human beings. Satan is working through them. Satan is the real uh, enemy. And, and the fact is, in any conflict, it's important to know the enemy. 
And God has shown us what the devil is like and how he works. Uh, again, we're, we're not ignorant of his devices. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 11. So let, let, me, let me just talk about some of the ways that Satan, uh, some of his devices and some of the ways that he tries to get to us. And, and I, I obviously I won't be able to mention very many. But uh, I'm hopeful that as I talk about these things, you'll think of other things, perhaps in your own life, uh, about uh, the possibilities of Satan working there. But for example, first of all, Satan's at work in your trials and your afflictions. Uh, He's wanting to bring you down. He's wanting to turn you away from God. What's important about that, though, is that God is in our trials, too. In James 1 and verse 2, God uses trials to strengthen us. He knows that if we don't face some uh, uh, adverse things in this life, we are not going to be spiritually strong. God uses trial to strengthen us. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, James says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And then in James 1 and verse 12, enduring trial brings a crown, James says. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he's been approved, he'll receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, it, it is just a fact, and we are all aware of this, calamities and problems come to us all. Uh, pain, suffering, loss of loved ones, distress, grief, and on and on the list could go. But now... I think it's important. Trials don't always come in the form of sickness and physical ailments and disease. Sometimes Satan uses persecution. He uses rejection. He uses alienation. Uh, Have you ever been made fun of because you're doing the right thing? Uh, Called a goody-goody or called by some name like this to shame you? Satan uses that because it works so effectively to accomplish his purposes. Now, he uses persecution to draw us away from God. And if you think about it, you have seen Satan at work in this way, maybe in your own life. But but often persecution is more than some are willing to stand. And they allow it to draw them away from God. Now, I, 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 want to, I want to emphasize this because that's not as it ought to be. It doesn't have to be that way. Sometimes people say, I, I just can't do this. I, I can't uh, handle this. And, and that just simply is not so. We are not doomed to fail. Uh, l- listen to some of the things that God tells us about uh, times of persecution. And, and I think we need to be reminded and see in the story of Jesus, Satan tried all of these things on Jesus himself, and he uh, overcame. But in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, Jesus even makes the statement in, in the Beatitudes, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. That, that's hard to take, isn't it? But Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You're trying to live right. And people are making fun of you. Jesus said, you're blessed. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Other people have have been through that very same thing. 
In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, we're reminded that no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you're able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it, he says. Now, the the fact is... Jesus has overcome Satan. Jesus defeated Satan at the cross. But now, Satan is defeated also when you recognize what he's doing and you stand firm. Now, this is a passage, again, that we studied upstairs this morning in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. And Paul says this, and you you think about this, when Satan is tempting you, and young people, you you need to be reminded, you, you need to think about this very thing. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, he says. We've got armor that God provides that can help us to stand firm against the wiles of the devil. And again, James 4 and verse 7, James tells us, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Uh, uh, Turn to God, he says, resist the devil and he will flee. But Satan uses trials and troubles in, in our lives to pull us away from God. And God has given us a way of escape. He wants us to remain faithful in spite of Satan's efforts. He tells us, put on the whole armor of God and stand firm. And, and so Satan works on us in those, in the, in those ways when, when, when persecution come or when trials and troubles come. But secondly, Satan works on us through our material possession. Now we're not surprised about that. And, and we're warned about that really all through the Bible. But in Mark 4, 18 and 19, you remember the parable of the sower. Jesus talks about the farmer coming out and he sows seed. Uh, and some of the seed falls on uh, the wayside soil, just packed down. And some of the seed falls on stony ground. There's a uh, ledge of, of, uh, of stone under a, a, a layer, a small layer of soil. And then some of the seed falls on thorny ground, some of it on good ground. Now, the thorny ground represents the hearer who has heard the word. Now, here's somebody who has heard the word of God, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The things of this world end up being greater in our own minds than God and the things uh, that are right. The thorny ground represents the one whose heart is too crowded with the things of this world. And the fact is, the gospel can't bear fruit in a heart like that. Uh, I, I think it's important just to recognize that material possessions are morally neutral. In, in other words, they're, they're neither right or wrong in and of themselves. 
But now you, you, you think about the things that you possess, uh, money, houses, land, cars, jobs, power, fame, popularity, education, TVs, uh, whatever it might be. They are not right or wrong in and of themselves. But here's, here's the problem. We are not morally neutral. And when we allow any of our things, any of our stuff to become more important and more of our focus than we have on serving God, they become sinful and wrong. Paul says in Colossians 3 and verse 5, greed is idolatry. It's it's putting something of this world before God in our lives. Now, let me, let me just ask, do, do you ever stop and think who it is? And in other words, are we giving the devil uh, enough attention? Do we ever stop and think who's behind the wrong thinking about possessions? In, in other words, again, Satan uses our possessions as stumbling blocks to our serving God. Uh, there, there's a, a example that Jesus uses in Luke 12, 13 to 21, the example of the rich farmer. And he must have been the, uh, uh, the uh, farmer of the year. I mean, he is, he is well uh, thought of and well liked and so forth, I, I, I would suppose. But he's an example of a man who was content, but he was caught in Satan's snare. Now, again, here's a, a farmer, and this year he has a bumper crop. I mean, he has more than he can handle. And he doesn't have enough room in his barn, so he says, I'm going to tear down my, my barns, I'm going to build bigger barns, and I'm going to fill those barns with all the things that I have, and then I'm going to sit back and enjoy those. And then the voice of God comes, you fool. This night, your soul is required of you. Then whose will those things be? Now, again, I think I think it's so important for us to realize our lives are not equal to the things that we possess. We are foolish when we allow Satan to convince us that our possessions are all that important. Now, you think about, though, what we do, and you think about how Satan works. Uh, we start out, uh, what, what I want to do is I just want to earn a living. I want to provide for the family, and God tells us to provide for our families. But then, look at what happens in this parable. This farmer completely loses his focus. He is laying up treasures here on earth, but he has none in heaven. And, and he's not thinking about God. But he's not thinking about Satan either. Satan was working on him and deceiving him through his possessions. And then look at Luke 16, verse 13, where Jesus said, No servant can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, he says. You can't do that. You can't serve God and wealth at the same time. Now, too many think that that can be done. And, and Jesus said it can't be done. You, you think about how Satan lures us into this, this trap. And th- this is a kind of a simple example, but uh, I'm, I'm just wondering, do you get as many sale catalogs as we do? And uh, do you ever wonder why these keep coming into your home? Oh, is it because that's the way so many, that's what so many people are about? Are, are we just thinking, how can I get more stuff? 
Well, be warned, Satan is at work to help us fall in love with this world, and he uses those things to distract us from serving God. That, that's, one of, that's just one of the ways he works. Paul warns in 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10, those who want to get rich, have you ever known anybody that made up his mind, I just want to make a million dollars before I'm 30 years old? Jesus says, uh, or Paul says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many griefs, he says. Now you just, you think of people that you know who were once faithful Christians who left the Lord to pursue some physical goal. And it may not have been to be rich. It may have been some other uh, physical physical goal. But John also warns in 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And, and again, the point is material possessions can become a tool that Satan uses to take away our love for God. Uh, here, here's another way that Satan works on us. Satan works on us through our families. Uh, I, I think sometimes uh, we don't give Satan enough credit here. And that uh, families are supposed to be good. But... Uh, in Job, the second chapter, in the ninth verse, this is the second round where Satan has attacked Job. The first one, he took away all of his possessions. And the second one, he's caused sores all over his body. And, and in Job 2 and verse 9, his wife said to him, of, of all people, now his wife, that uh, he, he must have uh, been discouraged by this. But she comes to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die, she says. Now, probably most of our family members don't come at us like that. In fact, uh, Satan is usually more subtle than that himself. But you, you think of some of the ways that Satan uses, uh, 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 tries to use our families against us. Uh, here's a husband or a wife or a father or a mother who's not a Christian or just as bad, not a faithful Christian. And Satan will often use that person to try to draw those who are Christians in the family away from God. You know, there are other things you can do when times of worship come uh, on Sunday or Sunday night or Wednesday night. There are a lot of other things that can be done. And again, Satan works through family members sometimes. Also, we know of people who know the truth, believe the truth, but refuse to obey the truth because if they obeyed the gospel, they have a family member they'd have to admit was not a Christian. And some might sympathize with them, but it is not sympathy they need. They need to realize that their choice to disobey God doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help the person that they're worried about. It doesn't help them. It doesn't help anybody. And the fact is, they could not honor deceased, uh, deceased parents more than by submitting to God's truth and obeying Him. Now, now here's another way that Satan uses family, though. He, he uses our children to do his dirty work sometimes. And, and the fact is, children have always pressured parents 
to allow them to do things that the parents know are wrong. But in our day, children have been elevated to a point that is unlike any other time in history. And because of society's demands, too many parents just give in to those pressures and allow their children to conduct themselves in ways that they themselves would never do. And and I'll tell you, there's an added danger here because... uh, I don't believe there's ever been a time, at least in my lifetime, when young people were more vulnerable to pornography and sexual perversion than they are now. It is so easily available, and it's just on every cell phone and and, uh, whatever. But they are vulnerable to that. And, And I'm saying that is Satan using our families to do his evil work in the world. He is going about on the earth and walking up and down in it. Now, consider how Jesus addresses that problem. In Matthew 10, 34 to 37, he says, Do you think that I came to bring peace on the earth? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, he said. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, Jesus said. Now, you you think of the implications of what Jesus is saying when, when he talks about a man's foes being members of his household. In other words, Satan can easily turn, for example, undisciplined children into enemies. And the point is, if our children are exalted to the point that we refuse to discipline them or that we feel so sorry for them that we don't make them mind, we will produce sorry adults. In Hebrews uh, Hebrews 12 and verse 8, for example, the Hebrew writer calls undisciplined children illegitimate. They are like illegitimate children. But more important than that, Listen, Jesus again says, He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Again, Matthew ten thirty seven. And the fact is, there is a greater love that honors God and his son above all else, above our children, even above ourselves. It is a love that says, when you're tempted to give in to, to children, it says, I am going to please God in this matter. In 2 Corinthians 5, 9, that's exactly what Paul says. He said, I make it my goal to be pleasing to God. And that's the choice that a Christian parent uh, has to make. Here, here's another way that Satan, uh, Satan uh, works on us. Satan works on us, of all things, through our friends. Uh, and one of the best examples of that, Second Samuel, the 13th chapter, uh, uh, about a man named Ammon, uh, Amnon. Amnon was one of David's sons. And he lusted after his half-sister Tamar. He, 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 was, he, he made himself sick. He's depressed, can't get out of bed. Now, what's interesting, though, about this is he had enough self-restraint when he was by himself to keep him from committing the sin that was in his mind. But in verses 3 through 6 of 2 Samuel 13, Amnon had a friend. His name was Jonadab, son of Shimea, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. 
And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so depressed morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Then Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my sister, of, uh, the sister of my brother uh, Absalom. And it's, it's like Jonadab didn't even have to think about what to say next. He tells him to lie. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, this is his father David, Please let my sister Tamar come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Another amazing thing about this story is that his, his father David didn't seem to even question anything about this. I mean, this, is, this seems to be a crazy request to me. But anyway, Amnon followed his friend's advice and set in motion a series of events that led to his raping his sister Tamar. Now that was at the suggestion of a so-called friend. And in doing so, he ruined Tamar's life and finally cost him his own life. That, that old saying, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay is absolutely true. Now you you think about why so many young people are led to wear immodest clothing or smoke or drink alcohol or use drugs or engage in pornography and immoral sex, commit criminal acts and on and on. It's it's because they have a friend, a so-called friend. And Satan often uses a so-called friend to do his work. Now, I, I would say that you young people need to, need to be cautious about that. But that's not limited to kids. Many who are older and know better still give in to those kinds of pressures. Uh, we want friends. Uh, we don't want to offend anybody. Uh, we want people to like us. Yeah, I, I think it's important. Again, the Bible addresses that problem. In Proverbs 1, verses 8 through 15, Solomon is talking, uh, 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 this Solomon has the father talking to uh, his children, his sons. And he's telling them, there are going to be so-called friends come along, and they are going to want you to join in with them. And they're going to make all kinds of promises. We'll have the same purse. We'll make a lot of money. Uh, we'll do this. We'll really have a big time. And uh, uh, the, the father warns. He says, do not walk with them. Don't go with them. Now, I, I, I know that nobody here is likely to follow a friend and go out and rob a bank. But now think how subtle Satan is. If you have a friend that tries to influence you to do anything that's contrary to God's will, the wise man says, do not consent. Don't walk with him. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, evil communications, evil companionship corrupts good morals, Paul says. Now, again, think, everybody knows that. And how do we know that? We, we've just all, we've, we've seen it happen. All of us have seen it happen. 
There are certain so-called friends who lead those who are with them to act and to do things that they would never do except with them. And there, there are kids who guard their lives, try to live right until they get with their friend. And when they do that, they are rotten. Again, be warned, Satan is at work. And if you have friends, again, all of us need to consider this, but you young people especially, if you have friends with whom you do or say or think things that you know are wrong, that you don't ordinarily do, they are not your friends. Don't walk with them. That's what Solomon says. Now, I think it's important. We know we're supposed to influence folks for good. And we, we know that our children are to do likewise. We want our children to grow up and influence others for good. Matthew five sixteen. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Yet, I, I think there's a warning attached. It, it is a fact that there are some people that are not going to be influenced by our good example. In other words, they see your light shining, and they either ridicule or they pacify. And so when we choose to keep running with such so-called friends, we end up putting our light under a bushel. And In other words, we hide the light that God wants us to shine for good to others. Now again, Satan so subtly uses friends to weaken us morally. So-called friends who will allow us to say and do sinful things, but would have us uh, ridiculing godly behavior are not our friends at all. And again, I think it's important, and and maybe some of this has been said recently, but times change, but the standard of conduct has not changed with the passing of time. Our standard is Jesus Christ, and we will be judged by his word. John 12 and verse 48. Now, one other thing, Satan works on us through human philosophy. Uh, philosophy is defined as love of wisdom, and who doesn't want to appear to be wise? All of us do. But you think of what the wisdom of our culture is working so hard to convince us of. Current so-called wisdom says premarital sex, adultery, unscriptural divorce and remarriage, homosexuality, abortion, all of these, are. this is just normal. They, they want us to believe. And it's to be expected, and uh, the message is, you better get used to it. And try speaking out against such, and you'll be labeled as a bigot, a homophobe, narrow-minded, prejudiced, unkind, unloving, and, and so forth. And it might even get you fired. Uh, Mr. John Kluge, Orchestra director at Brownsburg High School nearby was forced to resign his position last year because, quote, he refused to lie to his students and thus violate God's word. Those are his words. What he, he, he refused, what he did was he refused to call a male student by a female name. Colossians 2 and verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And it it, it is just a fact 
that almost every aspect of philosophy currently accepted in our society is directly opposed to God's will. Uh, humanism, man's the measure of all things, God's out of the picture. Evolution, everything including humans came in by way of accident. No accountability, live any way that you want to. Again, God's out of the picture. Atheism, there's no God, there's not going to be a final judgment. Here, here's commonly accepted things in our society. Now this, uh, the, the idea of moral relativity, has long affected the religious world. Uh, and the, the idea that truth is relative and there are no absolutes. Uh, there are no, no standards. Uh, uh, it, it amazes me how the people can come up with that. Uh, for example, that, that I've heard all my life, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. What Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, it sounds like it does matter what you believe, whether you're sincere or not. Uh, or the statement, we all have a right to our own personal faith. Well, in Matthew seven twenty one, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. It sounds like we don't all just have a right to believe anything we want to believe. Or all religions are going to heaven, just taking different roads. Matthew seven thirteen and 14, Jesus talks about two ways. There's a way that leads to destruction. There's the broad way that leads to destruction. Many be, there be that go in there out. There's a narrow way that leads to life. Few there be that find it. So uh, it doesn't sound like that whatever you want to believe or that all whatever religion you want to be a part of, everybody's going to heaven. doesn't sound that way to, to, see what the, to hear what the Bible has to say. And, and ju- just think about this. When talk show hosts, politicians try to tell you that these philosophies are harmless, are right, good, please recognize that is Satan at work. Paul warned Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verses 20 and 21, avoid the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith, he says. There there are a lot of other things, and again, I'm hopeful that you'll be thinking of perhaps uh, other ways that Satan uh, tries to get into our lives. But let me let me just wind up this way. Satan works through all of these and more. Uh, false teachers, lust, bad attitudes, and the list goes on. But Satan is real, and he's at work. He has an unquenchable appetite. He wants you. He wants your life. He wants your, your children. Second Corinthians 2 and verse 11. We're not ignorant of his schemes. James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. First Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Others have been through similar situations that that you've been through. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Let let me just just encourage one and all, and uh, especially young people, keep God in your life. Keep Jesus in your life. If you're not a Christian and you're, you're thinking about it, 
We, we would urge you to come to Jesus. In Mark 16, 16, he that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that believes not will be condemned. So we would urge you to come to Jesus. If, if you are a Christian and you're not living right, repent of your sin. Turn back to God while you have time and opportunity. We, we're going to stand and sing. Will you come while we sing the invitation song?